Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. As Christians, we're admonished by Christ to spread the good news of the gospel. But how many of us, how many Christian churches, actually do that? Could it be that when we stand up to preach, we're delivering the wrong message? This was the point made recently by Pastor David Asherich at a Religious Liberty Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. Last time on this program, we heard part one of that amazing presentation where he identified how the early Christian church rapidly lost its way as it tried to share God's love with a hurting world. As I heard one scholar put it, the religion of Christ quickly became the religion about Christ, and much was lost in that transformation. What followed were centuries of abuse and persecution for anyone who dared disagree with the main religion of those times, the papacy. In the mid-1800s, a new denomination took root, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Among many of its later accomplishments was the establishment of Liberty Magazine. But even this church struggled with traditional thinking about God and how he wanted his message delivered to the world. Two founders of the Advent movement, James and Ellen White, soon realized that something important was missing. That's the subject of part two of Pastor Asherich's presentation, which we'll hear today. If you've ever wondered why your personal walk with God isn't as fulfilling as you'd like for it to be, listen carefully. The story of how the Seventh-day Adventist Church lost and then found its way may be of great help to you. Pastor Asherich is co-founder and director of Arise Institute, an evangelism training organization based in Oregon. Here's part two of his presentation, The Coming Storm. Many who claim to believe the truth have no knowledge of faith in Christ by experience. But they believe all the right doctrines, I'll tell you that. They got all of their ducks lined up, all of their I's dotted, and all of their T's crossed. But she says, many who claim to believe the truth have no knowledge of faith in Christ by experience. It is this neglected part of the ministry which will be found the great instrument in the conversion of souls and in leading to the high standard of holiness which every church needs in order to become a living church. Somehow, in the preaching of the great Advent truth, the truths supplanted the truth, and the love of God for a sinful race was left out of the picture? How could it happen? What was happening was, is that the Adventist preachers with their argumentative discourses were convincing stubborn people rather than converting lost people. This is not my diagnosis. This is an inspired diagnostician. She continues, There must be life-giving power in the ministry. Life must be infused into the missionaries in every place that they may go forth giving the trumpet no uncertain sound, but with heaven-sent awakening power such as can be found only in the preaching of what? Jesus Christ. His love, His forgiveness, His grace. One more diagnostic statement. There is one great central truth. One great central truth to be kept ever before the mind in searching the Scriptures. Say it with me. Christ and Him crucified. Now watch this. Every other truth, lowercase t, 
Every other truth, the Sabbath, the sanctuary, the state of the dead, the non-immortality of the soul, the non-eternality of hell, every other truth is invested with influence and power corresponding to its relation to this theme. Which means then, if they are preached apart from the righteousness of Christ, they have no power. No converting power, maybe convincing power for the stubborn, but not converting power for the lost. It is only in the light of the cross that we can discern the exalted character of the law of God. Amen. Only! Now, nowhere is this emphasis in Adventism communicated more clearly than in the two great pieces of artwork that evangelists used. Now, in the days before PowerPoint and keynotes and the other modern accoutrements that we have available to us, the evangelists used charts. William Miller used his charts. And uh, James White began to feel a burden that they would commission an artist to, to make a painting that would contain the whole of salvation history. How many of you have seen this picture before? It was called The Way of Life, and it was commissioned by James White in 1876. Now take a close look at it. 1876, notice the way of life, and I want you to notice several things here. These two blank spaces just below the tree, those, those, those are the Ten Commandments. That is the law. I want you to notice that the law is hanging from the tree of life. Do not miss the significance of that. The law, the Ten Commandments, are hanging from the tree of life. And notice just to the left of the picture, your right, there's, there's a Jesus there. Certainly he's there, but hardly a prominent part of the picture. Here you have the fall of man, the law is here hanging from the tree of life, and, and there's Jesus. This was the picture that evangelists would use as they would go to town and they would point with their pointer stick and say, this is the plan of salvation. If they were preaching on the sanctuary, they would point to the left side of the picture. If they were preaching on the new heaven and the new earth, they would point to the upper right hand corner. They would point to various aspects as they would preach their evangelistic sermons and series. But shortly after James White, who was a revolutionary, by the way, in terms of so many things, shortly after the picture was, was commissioned, James White began to feel that it was inadequate. The very one who had commissioned the picture said, there's something not quite right here. And before his death in 1881, beginning in about 1878, two years after the commissioning of this picture, he started to sketch up a new picture. A new picture. And he would, he would write and dialogue with his wife on, on what this new picture should look like. Now, James White died August 6, 1881, before he was able to see it brought to fruition, the picture actually completed. But what the burden of James, White, James White's heart was communicated to his wife, Ellen White, and Ellen White took that same burden, and she then commissioned this new stencil drawing. The new one, by the way, is not called The Way of Life. It's called Christ, the way of life. Do you see a difference in this picture? Of course you do. Where is the law hanging from the tree of life? Gone. The law is in the back left-hand corner symbolized by Mount Sinai. The actual Ten Commandment law itself is implied. It's not communicated expressly, and it certainly isn't front and center hanging from the tree of life. But what is front and center in this picture? Christ, the way of life. This draft was completed in 1883. And 
James wrote to Ellen White just before his death, and I want you to notice this. He's writing to his wife. By the way, he's going to die within a few months of this. Of course, he doesn't know that. He says, I feel assured that there was a crisis before us. We should preserve our physical and mental powers for future service. The glorious subject of redemption should have long ago been more fully presented to the people. But I allowed myself to be called into the field and have become so worn out that I could not engage in writing. He literally dies of exhaustion. James White dies prematurely. Like I mentioned, Paul died prematurely. James White died prematurely. The reasons for that are multifaceted, but here's the point. He says, I feel there's a great burden before us, and we need to stop traveling so much and write. And if you read the rest of the letter, he says, we need to bring the gospel before our people. This is James White, just before his death. Our ministers, our people, our churches, the Advent band, need the gospel. This is what James wrote to the church in Review and Herald, February 8, 1881. James says, With some, there is an unutterable yearning of the soul for what? Christ. And look at what he says here. And the writer is one of this class. You see what he's saying about himself? This is months before the man is going to die. He's given his whole life to the Advent truth. He says, With some, there is an unutterable yearning and a longing for Jesus. And he says, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. With some of us, it has been business and work and care and giving Christ, but little room in the mind and in the affections. We've been so busy with the work of the Lord, we forgot the Lord of the work. With others, it has been nearly all, watch this, theory. Dwelling upon the law and the prophets. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But devoid of Christ, there's a lot wrong with it. The nature and destiny of man. These are the argumentative discourses. The messages. Those are the three angels' messages. While destitute to an alarming degree of an indwelling what? Christ. Our preachers need more encouragement. They should preach what more? Christ more. They should know more of Him upon whom all of our hopes of success here and on heaven hereafter depend. Do you hear the burden of this man's heart within months of his death? This is February 8th. He's going to die March, June, July. Well, I don't know my dates very well. March, April, May, June, July, August. Six months later, he's dead. Six months later, he's dead. And he's saying, we need more Christ. I have an unutterable longing for Christ. And some, all they do is work, 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 work. And others, all they care about is theory, 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 theory. But our ministers need encouragement. Ellen White, we need to stop traveling so much. I'm wearing myself out. We need to write. Somehow in arranging the jewels and in showing off our jewels at the evangelistic show and tell, we'll miss the point. There was a fellow minister that traveled with James White in the last eight weeks of his life. The last eight weeks he was with James when he died. And this is what he wrote in the Review and Herald later, this minister that was with James. Two summers, he writes in the Review and Herald, two summers I spent with him in Colorado during the last few months I was with him about eight weeks so that I have had the best opportunity to know him thoroughly. As all will remember, wherever he preached the past few months, that should say, he dwelt largely upon faith in Christ and the boundless love of God. Amen. Are we feeling this? Do you see what's happening? The formation of the church... The deformation of the church, the reformation of the church, but even just as Adventism in 1844 prophesied by in, in Revelation chapter 
10, just as it starts to get really gaining steam, they missed the point, and they thought the point was the truths, not the truth. And Ellen White could say as early as 1852, we have slid into a Laodicean condition. We have slid into a Laodicean condition, and here, arguably the greatest worker that the Advent Church had ever seen, slides quietly and prematurely into his death, longing for Christ, wanting more time to write about Christ, and wishing that our ministers would preach Christ. Helen White was sitting at James's side when he died. And she received these words and wrote this very around that time, around that very time as he was dying. God said to Ellen White, I have workmen, because she was concerned. Who, who will take up the, the, the banner? I have workmen that shall take hold of this work. God speaking to Ellen White. Fear not. Do not be discouraged. It will go forward. It was there that I understood that I was to take the work and a burden stronger than I had ever borne before, with the understanding that God was to bring, watch this, an element in this work that we have not yet had. Don't miss this. James White dies in 1881, and Ellen White is burdened. Where are the standard bearers? Who will carry this work forward? And the, God says to her, I have workers that I will raise up. And Ellen White says, I then became convicted that I needed to preach and, and burden myself with this work even more than I ever had, but that God would bring in a new element, something that the Advent movement had been lacking. I'll give you one guess what that is. More precisely, I'll give you one guess who that is. That's Christ. this begins to reach its grand consummation in Minneapolis in 1888. Something very interesting happened just prior to that. In 1882, a young medical doctor by the name of E.J. Wagoner attended a series of sermons that Ellen White preached on the gospel of the grace of God. And Wagoner, E.J. Wagoner would later, later write this, I sat in a tent one dismal rainy afternoon, Ellen White preaching at a camp meeting in California, where a servant of the Lord, that's Ellen White, was presenting the gospel of His grace. In the midst of the discourse, an experience came to me that was the turning point in my life. Suddenly a light shone around me and the tent seemed illuminated as though the sun were shining. I saw Christ crucified for me. And to me was revealed for the first time in my life that God loved me and that Christ gave Himself for me personally. It was all for me. Therefore, I knew that in the Bible I should find the message of God's love for individual sinners, and I resolved the rest of my life should be devoted to finding it there and making it plain to others. Amen. See, God, God raised up two individuals, Alonzo T. Jones and Ellett J. Wagoner, two individuals, young men, men that frankly were strongly resisted by the old guard. And uh, the, the G.I. Butlers and the Uriah Smiths and others said, Who are these young whippersnappers preaching as they do? And they preach so much Jesus, so much Christ. What do you think the old guard was afraid of? They said, They're diminishing the importance of the law. They're diminishing the importance of the doctrine. And 
infighting began to break out in which Butler and Smith and others actually tried to undermine the preaching of these young whippersnappers who were preaching Christ, Christ, Christ in the context of the law. It comes to this amazing forum in the 1888 General Conference and Ellen White would later write about what took place in Minneapolis. She says, The Lord in His great mercy sent a most precious message to His people through elders Wagner and Jones. This message was to bring more prominently before the world, say the next three words with me, the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. That's Jesus. It invited people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. In other words, we don't obey in order to be saved. We obey because we've already been saved by the boundless love of God. She says, man, Wagoner, and, and other statements, she says, as I listened to Jones and Wagoner preach, my heart burned within me because the burden that had been in me for years, I was hearing. That promise that God had given when, when James White was on his deathbed and Ellen, Ellen White heard the, the voice of God saying, do not worry, I will raise up workmen, but there will be something new added to the work. Rather than the evangelist coming into town with his charts and, and preaching argumentative, only prophetic discourses that were devoid of Christ, a new element would come in, and Jones and Wagner, these young, on-fire evangelists, begin to preach, and Ellen White says, a most precious message came to us at the Minneapolis General Conference. Many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to His divine person, His merits, and His changeless love for the human family. All power is given into His hands that He may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift of His own righteousness to the helpless human agent. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. This is the, me this is the message? It is the third angel's message which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice, that's the loud cry by the way, and attended with the outpouring of His Spirit in a large measure, that's the latter rain by the way. The message of the gospel of His grace was to be given to the church in clear distinct lines that the world would no longer say, what's the world no longer going to say? That the world would no longer say the Seventh-day Adventist talk, say it with me, the law, the law, but do not teach or believe Christ. That's what people were saying about Adventists. In another statement, Ellen White says, if people refer to us as legalists, it will be because we've earned the reputation. Oh, the Adventists, they're the argumentative ones. Oh, the Adventists, they're the stubborn ones. Oh, the Adventists, they're the ones that debate. Oh, the Adventists, they're the ones that are right about everything. Right? She says, if we can lift up Christ, that's not going to diminish the law, but that was the concern of Smith and Butler and others. If we lift up Christ, it doesn't in any way diminish the law. In fact, it actually magnifies the law. Can you say amen to that? Woo! Actually magnifies the law. But here's the point. When we start lifting up Jesus, the accusation against Adventists will be, man, these people, all they do is talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's always about Jesus with these people. It's always about Jesus with these people. A friend of mine who is a contractor, so I can say this because he is a contractor, he says, do you know how you know when a contractor is telling a lie? He says, when their lips are moving. <laughs> now he's a contractor, so I can say that. That's how you know if a contractor is telling a lie, he says, if their lips are moving. It should be like that with Adventists. Do you know how you know an Adventist is talking about Jesus? Their lips are moving. 
But up to this point, it had been, oh, the Adventists are in town? The law, the law. Ellen White began to receive letters from people writing and saying, really, is this the message? Is this the message? Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered, say this with me, it is the third angel's message in verity. There were people that were concerned, wait a minute, if we keep talking about Jesus so much, the prophecies will lose their significance. Oh, contraire, mon frere. The prophecies become powerful in the light of the righteousness of Christ. No, we'll diminish the law. No, the law becomes powerful and powerful to save in the context of the righteousness of Christ. And this is a statement that I just, every time I read it, I just tremble before the Lord. Faith and Works, 19. By the way, she wrote this, look at the date, 1890. There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, and by the way, I'm in earnest. There is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently. I am accused of that sometimes. Oh, you repeat so much. That's because I talk so fast, so I need to say it twice. <laughs> there is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of everyone than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. There's not a point that we need to be talking about more as Advent Christians than the salvation. By the law will come along for the ride, believe me. When you preach Christ and Him crucified, the law comes right along for the ride. But if you preach the law, the law, the law, Jesus was not coming along for the ride. If you preach Christ and Him crucified, let me tell you something. The prophecies come along for the ride. I know that. I've dedicated my life to preaching the prophecies. But when we preach prophecies, the prophecies, the prophecies only, we create conspiracy theorists and weirdos. Now, I don't mean to be unkind, but I don't have a lot of time, and I'm just calling it like it is. You get people that are so consumed with prophecy that they're scary. I mean, I, you should see some of the mail I get. I, I get scary terrifying mail. People sending me every kind of prophetic permutation, concoction, and, and abomination you can possibly imagine. And what I typically do, I, I often, if I just look at it and it looks weird, it goes right in file 13, to be honest. But if it looks only marginally weird or not at all weird, I'll read it. And if I don't see enough Jesus, right into file 13. That's the litmus test. That's the litmus test. When we preach Christ, the law comes along for the ride. When we preach Christ, the doctrines come along for the ride. And when we preach Christ, the prophecies come along for the ride. Yeah. How will we know when the latter rain is about to fall? How will we know? There's been lots of movements that I've been exposed to, even modern movements where people say, this is the truth. This is the testing truth. And I could go down ministries and ministers and things that I have heard, though I don't want to offend anyone unnecessarily. People saying, this is the truth. And I am astonished at how easily Adventists, people who should know, people who should know the book, people who should be grounded in truth, are led around by the nose, by the latest and greatest charismatic, counterfeit, conspiracy theory, whatever it is, just... just Oh, that's the truth. Oh, that's the truth. Oh, okay. So, oh, no, that's not the truth. He's fallen out of favor. Oh, this is the soup du jour. Oh, oh, he too has fallen out of favor. What? How will we know when it's the message? Well, let me tell you, it will not create fear and paranoia. One interest will prevail. 
One interest will prevail. One subject will swallow up every other. Say it with me. Three words. Christ our righteousness. If you are hearing new truth or new light or some passionate presentation on prophecy or any other thing and you have to ask yourself, where's the righteousness of Christ? You can be sure there's a rat in the woodpile. You need to listen to it no longer. One interest will prevail. Friends, we have gone through the formation of the church, the deformation of the church, the reformation of the church, and what about the restoration? What about when that promise that Jesus gave in the Nazareth Manifesto comes to pass to set at liberty the captives and recovery of sight to the blind? It will happen when the Advent Church recovers the apostolic message. Go read the book of Acts again and underline every time the word Jesus occurs. Underline every time the word Christ occurs. You could not keep these people from preaching Jesus. I mean, just they open their mouth and they're preaching Christ. They open their mouth and they're pre... Were they preaching the law? Of course they were preaching the law. It wasn't as necessary, incidentally, for them because they were preaching, at least in the early chapters of Acts, to a largely Jewish audience. But even to the Gentiles, all of these other truths, lowercase t, came along for the ride. But you, you look at the sermon of Stephen. Look at the sermon of, sermons of Peter. Look at the sermons of Paul, which, of course, we have in his epistles. Look at the sermons of Philip. Christ, 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 Christ. The Laodiceans are said to be rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing. It doesn't mean they're monetarily wealthy. The reason that Ellen White said as early as 1852 that the Laodicean message was applying to the Advent movement is that they thought they were rich and increased with goods doctrinally. Hey, we have the truth. We don't need anything from evangelical Protestantism. We have the truth. Now, the testimony of the true witness says you need three things. You need gold tried in the fire which both Scripture and the Spirit of Prophecy makes plain is, is faith which works by love. It's ministry. I loved your answer today, Tim, when somebody said, what's my civil responsibility? And you essentially said, Micah 6.8, to do good and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. When we advocate for people, that is genuine ministry and religious liberty is all about ministry. A lawyer can be a minister every bit as much as a doctor can be a minister, every bit as much as a, a pastor can be a minister. Advocacy is ministry. Jesus was an advocate. Amen. Amen. Gold tried in the fire, faith which works by love, a faith which no longer stays cloistered away in conference rooms and hotel rooms and seminary classrooms, but a faith that breaks out upon the world ministering. Faith which works by love, white raiment. You need the righteousness of Christ. Amen. That's what you need. Amen. You've got doctrinal truth. The righteousness of Christ, white raiment. And then ISAV. ISAV, to discern what the message is and what the message isn't. The message is the great truth of the boundless love of God for humanity. And when all of those jewels are finally at last scooped up and placed in their proper orientation, when that becomes the central feature of the Advent message, the devil will be checkmated. Amen. The latter rain will fall. Amen. The loud cry will be given. Yes, and all of our petty and prejudicial infighting will cease. Yes. And we're going home. God bless you. It's been a privilege to be here. My, Pastor David Asherich speaking at a recent Religious Liberty Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. What a wonderful message for us all. For further study of the issues facing God's church today, I invite you to the Liberty Magazine website 
There you can share your thoughts and learn from others who have a like passion for religious freedom around the world. Visit libertymagazine.org. Until next time, this is Charles Mills inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.